look at his nature. We want to look, we want to probe into the character of, of Jesus. And we're aware, I'm so aware, as we, uh, as we are in this space uh, this, this morning, and, uh, and as we try to bring Jesus into this community, into the, this into this village, uh, I am so aware that we have nothing else to offer. We have nothing else to offer but Jesus, and uh, and that's why we want to we want to speak of Him. We want to we want to see and uh, see His character, see His nature, and how it's revealed. There's uh, Paul, the the writer that takes up most of the New Testament, is the Apostle Paul, and and in Colossians chapter one, he says this about Jesus that He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And, uh, and so as we think of Jesus, uh, we should be doing that every Sunday, but specifically we want to ask some, uh, we want to offer some um, answers to the question of who he is and how his character and nature is revealed throughout scripture. And so this week, uh, I want to I suggest that Jesus is grace. And uh, this is uh, what, we, what we're going to share, share about this morning. Um, let me uh, let me before before we do that, uh, while I've done, made the introduction, I want to sh- want to show a quick video, Johnny, if you can play this play this video. Um. Hey, Shrek, what we gonna do when we get out of swamp anyway? Uh, our swamp, you know, when we threw rescuing the princess and all that stuff. We, Donkey, there's no we, there's no our, hmm? there's just me and my swamp. And the first thing I'm going to do is build a ten-foot wall around my land. You cut me deep, Shrek. You cut me real deep just now. You know what I think? I think this whole wall thing is just a way to keep somebody out. No. Do you think? Are you hiding something? Never mind, donkey. Oh, this is another one of those onion things, isn't it? No, this is one of those drop it and leave it alone things. Well, why don't you want to talk about it? Why do you want to talk about it? <laughs> why are you blocking? I'm not blocking. Oh, yes, you are. Donkey, I'm warning you. Who are you trying to keep out? Just tell me that, Shrek. Who? Everyone, okay? Oh, now we're getting somewhere. Oh, for the love of Pete. Hey, what's your problem, Shrek? What you got against the whole world anyway? Huh? Look, I'm not the one with the problem, okay? It's the world that seems to have a problem with me. People take one look at me and go, Ah, help! Run! A big, stupid, ugly ogre. (sighs) They judge me before they even know me. That's why I'm better off alone. back we'll come back to see if there's something that we can learn from Shrek and Donkey in a few minutes but if I can just take uh, take you right back to the beginning what we believe would be the, the beginning of creation the creative the creation narrative found in Genesis chapter 1 we see in that uh, in Genesis chapter 1 that uh, these words let us make man in our own image and uh, and so we um, we believe that that was the heart and nature of God right from the beginning. We were created in His image, created for relationship. And such was the value that 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 God, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit placed upon each one of you 
He sent Jesus to restore that relationship that had been broken. The, that, that image-bearing nature that he had placed within us, that he had created us with, had been scarred, had been damaged. And such was the value that Jesus placed on each one of us that sit in this room and each one of us that, are, that make up this community, make up this village of Rich Hill. Such was the value that he placed on each one of us that he sent Jesus to restore that relationship. And, and as, I, as I sometimes ask the question, uh, we, you think some of you are preparing for summer holidays. Uh, some of you are, after watching the wedding yesterday, are ready to, to buy a new outfit, all of that sort of thing. And sometimes we ask the question, how do, we, how do you test the value? How do you know the value of something? I think the answer to that question is, is the price that someone is willing to pay. And as I consider, as I consider the, the value that Jesus places on each one of us, how do I know? How do I know the value of each one of you in this room? How do I know the value and the worth of the people in in Rich Hill? Or wherever you're from, or whatever family you represent, whatever community you represent, how do you know the value of the people that make up that family or that community? It is the price that someone is willing to pay. And so I want to suggest to you uh, a few different things, uh, four things specifically this morning. First of all, I want to suggest that Jesus is more interested in revealing God as Father than as a distant deity. He's more interested in revealing Him as one who is Father than as than one who is than one who is distant, who is emotionless, who is aloof, who is far off. He comes to reveal. A God who does not define us by our actions, but by his love. Jesus comes to reveal a God who defines us by his love. He does not define us by our actions. And I think Jesus comes to reveal a God who does not define us by our actions, but by his love. For me, part of my journey, part of my story, even though I've, I grew up in church my whole life, I grew up in and always was familiar with the, with the stories in the Bible, always was familiar with the gospel narrative, was part of, been part of church leadership, been involved in, in all sorts of uh, Christian activities. And there was something about this point over the last number of years that has made such an impact on my, on my understanding of Jesus and my understanding of who I am and who he is. In my mind, I had, this, I had this misrepresented view of the nature of the Father, misrepresented view of the nature of God. And I went through a period of almost believing that, that God was so angry on me, with me and that Jesus was the good guy who was protecting me from, the, from an angry God. And as I go through the Gospels, as I go through and, and be caught up by the person of Jesus, I don't see that anymore because Jesus himself said if you want to see the father if you want to see God look at me take a look at me and as we're presenting to you who we think the character and nature of Jesus truly is over these six weeks I want to suggest that he that Jesus was not rescuing us from an angry God who only wants to punish Jesus was coming to show us exactly what he was like and at the, at the beginning of the Gospel of John, uh, we're told that Jesus came full of grace 
and they came full of truth. And there's a lot of wonderful things that we read about the incarnation and the life and the burial and the, the resurrection of Jesus. And as we, as we look in on that, as we get an insight into all that was being said, all that was going on, it's, it's that that fully shows what God is like. It shows what he truly looks like. And I don't believe that Jesus was rescuing us from an angry God who only wants to punish. He was showing us exactly what God was like. And he was full of grace. He was full of truth. He was slow to anger. He was abounding in love. He was filled with compassion. And this is the Jesus that we want to talk about. This is the Jesus that we believe is the, the central the central person, the central part of this good news. I'm sure many of you in the room are familiar with, with John 3.16, a scripture that is, that is uh, familiar in our churches, but it's also familiar just even uh, outside of that. We see it in billboards, we see it in posters, we see it in some football grounds, even locally. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him, whoever would believe in Jesus would have, uh, would not die, but have everlasting life. Last night when I, last night when I was at home, I read through the full, uh, the full statement, the full preach of Bishop Michael Curry. I don't know if any of you, uh, I don't know how many of you watched the wedding last, yesterday. But I was intrigued by some of the, the things that he was saying, by some of the statements that he was making. One of the things that caught my attention as he spoke of Jesus was that he, he said that he gave up his life. He sacrificed his life for the good of the other, for the well-being of the world, for us. As I was thinking of John 3.16, it's almost as if he was paraphrasing this uh, key gospel verse. He gave up his life. He sacrificed his life for the good of the other, for you, for me, for us. But what I want to talk about for a few minutes is, uh, is verse 17. John chapter 3, verse 17 seems to be a verse that even within the church we, have, we seem to have forgotten. We've put almost as if we've put, and I'm speaking to myself here, it's almost as if we've put so much emphasis on the, on the key verse in John three sixteen that, we sometimes forget to read a bit further. And if we were to read a wee bit further, we would read this. God did not send Jesus into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Jesus came not to condemn the world, but to save the world. And as I reflect on this verse, just as a, just as a believer, as a follower of Jesus, as I reflect on this verse, and, and read this verse and, and absorb this verse even as someone who is passionate about the church and the role of the church. I'm, I'm, I'm often grieved as I think of my own, as I think of my own life, my own attitudes at times. And I've almost got it the opposite way around. Jesus did not come to condemn but to save. And often I am doing the opposite. I find myself condemning the world with no heart or intention of rescuing her. It's a deep challenge. It's a deep challenge for me personally and it's a deep challenge for the church. 
And for those that, that, that have not been brought up in church, for those that maybe are still on, on this journey of asking that question, who is Jesus? Maybe that's been part of your story. Maybe that's been part of your journey that you've faced the condemnation of the church. You've faced the combat condemnation of other people. And so the second thing that I want to offer to you this morning is that Jesus is more interested in restoring humanity than he is in punishing it. Jesus is more interested in restoring humanity than he is in punishing it. And I love, I love just reading through what Jesus does. I just love reading through how he speaks and the way he engages. And so when he was baptized, whenever Jesus was baptized in Luke chapter 4, later on, a few verses later, in verse 18, Jesus begins his kingdom ministry. He begins the ministry that he came came to accomplish. He'd spent 30 years in obscurity. Spent 30 years more than likely learning the carpentry trade from from Joseph. Uh, He he spent time, I'm sure, in the the synagogues, spent time hanging out with friends. And he did that for 30 years. And then we we, we encounter him at his baptism. And then he, he gets up in the front of, in the midst of a crowd, pulls out a scroll and says, and reads the verse that is now going to be fulfilled in their midst and in their time. And it's Luke chapter 4, verse 18. And it says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to release the oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And here I believe that Jesus is revealing to us the very expression of the the love and the grace of God. The love and the grace of, of of the Trinity, of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we see them more interested in restoring humanity than punishing it. And I think it's really important for us to hear that no matter where we fall on the scale, no matter where we find ourselves today, I'm I'm wanting to present you one who is more interested in bringing restoration, in bringing healing, in bringing good news, in bringing hope, in setting people free, in delivering the oppressed and proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor. That's what he came to do. He is more interested in restoring than in punishing. And if you were to go, if you were, uh, if you have your Bibles and you're you're uh, you're able just to go to John chapter eight, I just want to highlight this story if I, if I can for just a minute or two. This is a this is a story that I've found myself uh, really invested in over the last number of months. So the religious leaders, the the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, they had caught uh, a woman in adultery. And uh, I think we have, even here, we have an insight into the patriarchal society that that Jesus was speaking into, that Jesus was engaging with. and, And it's only the woman that they bring before. Somehow the man got a, a bye ball here. And they brought her and they made her stand before this group of men that were baying for blood. And they thought they, were, they thought they were doing it because this is what Moses said. 
This is what the Bible says. And so they want to catch Jesus out. They want, they're using this moment, they're using this woman, they're using this situation to try and catch Jesus out. And they use her and they put her to shame. They humiliate her. And they stand her before this crowd and then they say to Jesus, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Essentially, they're saying, in the Bible, Moses is telling us that we should stone such a woman that has been caught. Now, Jesus, what do you say? And I would love to know, I would, if, of, because I've been invested in this story for the last few months, I've, I would love to know, I would love to know the atmosphere. I'd love to know what was going on. I'd love to know what Jesus did and what he wrote as he, as he bent down to the ground and began to, began to write with his finger. And they kept on questioning him. He still hadn't given answer and they kept on questioning him and he stood up. And I don't know whether he was taking his time to, to hear from the Father. I don't know whether he was taking his time because he wanted some, some clear revelation because he only did what the Father did. He only said what the Father said. And, and I don't know what he was doing in, that, in those moments. But as he straightened up, he said to the crowd, if any one of you is, has a, is without sin, then you be the one to throw the first stone. And he stepped down, he stooped down again and began, continued to write on the ground. And slowly but surely the, the crowd began to disperse. They dropped their stones, the oldest first, and they began to walk away. In verse 10 of John chapter 8, we have Jesus straightening up and turning to the woman, standing there, possibly possibly still half naked, standing humiliated, tears running down her cheeks, scarred, beaten, humiliated, the pain and the shame of this moment. And Jesus turns to her in, in a way that I think only he can with the compassion that only he can offer and says, where, where have they gone? Has no one condemned you? And the woman looks at Jesus, I believe, with, with tear-stained eyes, was still carrying the shock and, the, and, and caught up in all that's going on and says, nobody, no one, sir. No one, sir. Then Jesus in verse 11 says, well, then neither do I condemn you Go and sin no more. What I love about this moment is that Jesus is more interested in rescuing her future than condemning her past. And, uh, and even just as I share that in this room today, I want you to know that as well. I want each one of you to know that Jesus is more, whatever you've done, whatever you've said, whatever you've got yourself involved in, that even with that, Jesus is more interested in rescuing your future than condemning your past. He's more interested in revealing God as Father than someone who is far off and distant. He is more interested in restoring humanity than he is in punishing it. And he is more interested in rescuing he is more interested in rescuing this woman's future than condemning her past. He is more interested in rescuing your future than condemning your past. And just in case you, just in case you mishear me or, or think I'm saying it doesn't matter what she did, that the, the, her actions and her choices had no consequences, I'm not saying that at all. 
But I, I believe that Jesus is grieved by our actions. I believe that he's grieved by the choices that we make because ultimately they're destroying us. They're harming us and he came to, he came to restore. He came to bring good news. He came so that our eyes would be open and the blind would see. He came so that people caught up in things that they shouldn't be caught up in would, be, would know the freedom that comes from hearing the good news and responding to the good news of Jesus. And so he's grieved by our actions. He's grieved by the consequences of our choices. But as much as anything, he's grieved because he knows the harm that they're doing to us. The harm that they do to relationship with ourselves. The harm that it does to relationships with those around us. The harm that it does to relationship ultimately with him. And if you were to continue to follow through, if you were to continue to read through the gospel narratives, you will see over and over again that religious, rule-focused people couldn't get their heads around Jesus. And and in many ways, it's no different today that religious, rule-based, rule-focused people cannot get their heads around grace. This idea of grace, the concept of grace, we religious people can't get their heads around it because it seems so scandalous. <laughs> it almost seems so unfair. We, we see Jesus encountering that attitude many times through, throughout the Gospels. And often we, I find myself, I don't know if you're the same as me, but find ourselves in that place where, where, where his grace is just so outrageous. His love is so reckless as we've sang. It seems so scandalous. It almost seems so unfair that at times we can't get our head around it. And if many of you are familiar with the story of, in, of Luke, or in Luke 15, that tells the story of the prodigal son. And, and maybe some of you are familiar with it. Many of you will be. The story where this young guy goes and, and, and trying to find fulfillment and satisfaction and uh, partying and spending all his money and all his energy on a reckless living, finds himself at the lowest point of his life. Finds himself in the lowest place he could possibly have found himself. And then he decides that he's going to, he comes to his senses, we're told in Luke 15. And he makes his way back. He decides, do you know what? I'm going to go back to my dad. And I'm going to tell him, I, I, it's, I'm just going to be, I'm just going to be one of your servants. I know I've messed up all that I've, all that I've done, all that I've said about you, all that I've said to you, that what I've done that has grieved your heart, the actions and the choices that I've made that have hurt you. But, but ultimately he's beginning to see that all, all along they were just hurting him. They were just destroying him. And so when we're told he makes his way back with his speech rehearsed, with his speech planned, and, and he, comes to the, he comes to his father and as he's making his way, his father recklessly and full abandoned passion lifts up his skirt and runs, runs to his boy. And he can't help but shower him with kisses, cannot help but embrace him and love him and bring him close. And, and even while the boy, even before the boy has said anything, the father has, has showed him who he is. The father has revealed his very nature, his very heart towards a wayward son, towards a wayward, towards a wayward child. And, and, uh, and even while he was in the middle of, of this speech 
rehearsing his speech. The father cuts him off and says, we need to celebrate because my boy's come home. And do you know what we miss in this story? Hearing it with 21st century ears is a lot different hearing it from those first century ears because the scandal of this moment would not have been missed as Jesus told this story. And he tells it, I think he's intentionally telling it to two groups of people. We're told that the Pharisees were there and the tax collectors and the sinners were there. This is a story that everybody needs to hear. And here Jesus is presenting a love and a grace that the people listening would never have heard before or would never have expected. And that's what we believe that, that Jesus does and he continues to do it today. He comes and loves people and offers hope and life to people, one in, in a way that you would never have heard, in a way that you would never have expected. And the people listening would, would not have expected, almost to the point of being offended, offended by such grace, offended by such mercy, offended by such extravagant, reckless love. But Jesus made a point of, of, of always accepting and always loving those that everyone else avoided. Jesus was so used to the scandal that came with, with who he was associated with, who he, choose, who he chose to associate himself with. He, he, faced the, he faced the scandal of that. But he was willing to do that. He was willing to do that because those that he, he, came, to, he came to heal, he came to restore. And he loved those that everyone else tried to avoid. He came to set people free. He came to set them free from their pain and from their shame and from their condemnation. And even as I look around this room and I'm caught uh, by even our own self-condemnation at times, he comes to free us from that. He comes to free us from our shame, from our self-condemnation, from our pain. And I showed you that, that clip from Shrek some ways I can't remember where I was going with that clip, but sure it was a bit of fun anyway. But he says, but, but Shrek did in that moment towards the end, I think there, there's almost many like him. And I, I just found myself watching this, watching this clip during the week and for those that know me, you'll not be surprised. For those that don't, me, don't know me, you'll, be, you'll find it weird that as I watch this clip, I just find myself crying. I find myself weeping at, at Shrek's statement because I think it's the statement that, that, that many is in the internal monologue of many people within our communities and many people within our families. They've put up a wall. They've put people out because they've judged, because they've been judged before they've been known. And there's people within Rich Hill, there's people within the communities that you, that you have come from that are judged before they're known. There's people within Rich Hill, and I know them, and I'm aware of them, and I'm guilty of judging them before I know them. And we see the pain that there was in this cartoon character. Imagine the more the, more, the depth of the pain that there is in, in real life people. People that are, that are, uh, are sensing that, that pain, sensing that shame. And haven't have built, built those walls around them. Because they've been judged before they've been known. And so more than anything, more than anything we, we are wanting to say that he knows you. More than anything, we want to, we want to engage with this community and say that Jesus knows you. 
and it's better than that. And no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, or what, what you've got yourself involved in, his judgment on you, he, he, he does judge you. There is a judgment there is a judgment that he places on each one of us and his judgment is that you are worth giving up everything for. That's, how, that's the judgment that he places on the people that are in this room and in this community. He knows you and even, even as he knows you, even with knowing you, his judgment on you is still that you are worth giving up everything for. That you are worth giving up everything for so that you would know that you are one of incredible worth. That you are one that is incredibly loved. And that's what I want each one of us to know. And that's what the people within our families and communities need to know. And he is more interested in reminding you of his thoughts towards you than what others have labeled you. And so I finish just with reminding you of those four things that we are offering as we think of Jesus being the very essence and the very nature of grace that he is more interested in revealing God as father than as a distant deity, that he is more interested in restoring humanity than in punishing it. He is more interested in rescuing our future than condemning our past. And he is more interested in reminding you of his thoughts towards you than what others have labeled you. And so if there's anything this morning that has is, that is maybe struck a nerve in you, um, we would love to just, just I would just love to, to have a chat. I just love to talk and, and if there's a way that we can pray together um, I'd love the, the opportunity to do that as well uh, and so, um, so I'm, I'm going to finish I'd love just to pray really quickly and the guys are going to come and, and, uh, and just finish off our time with one, with one final song uh, and then David will wrap things up and, uh, and then we'd love you if you're able just to spend a wee bit more time with us before we, before we have to head home for our lunch. All right, Father, thank you for, thank you for, uh, thank you for your word. I thank you for who it reveals. I thank you for the beauty and the wonder it reveals in a person. I thank you for the person of Jesus. I thank you for the, the, the beautiful nature, the beautiful character that is continuously revealed throughout your word. And I pray that is, that is, that what we see of him would be caught by those of us that have that have said yes to following you. God, we'd be ones that, that would be more interested in rescuing people's future than, than condemning their past. We'd be more interested in restoring people than in punishing them. We'd be more interested in finding the good that is in people than in continuing labeling them with the same labels that they've carried their whole lives. And so Jesus, we thank you for each person that's in this room. God, I thank you that you know each one of us. And I thank you that in, in spite of how some of us feel about you knowing us and knowing our weak and knowing our thoughts, that you still have placed a judgment on us that has found us, found us worth you giving your life for. So that our relationship with you could be restored once again. And so we, uh, we thank you for this time. We bless this community. We bless this village. We bless this county. Bless this nation. In Jesus' name, amen.